Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. Do you ever get indignant about things that you find permissible and other things unpermissible? Of course you do, because you're a sensing being. And the more uh, eye-opened you are to what's going on around you, the more you see that, as far as I can tell, is that things are irrational. You go one way too far and it isn't good. Then you turn it the other way and you go too far and that isn't good either. So what do you do? Well, I don't know. Maybe there's nothing to do. You just uh, you just do. Kind of plop, plop. So our society with rider and horse and will attitude, you favor a certain direction. And, and what is favored? Well, it's a more fundamental right-wing law-abiding order. It's more about order than the intervals of chaos. Uh, not to say I'm against order. I'm not trying to make a political statement otherwise to say it shouldn't be order, even though I'm not necessarily right-wing or... I don't orient myself that way, but I'm not saying that's wrong, because it isn't. Nothing's wrong, but nothing's totally right. I've been learning this principle uh, lately. We don't totally understand collectively how it goes, and through democracy and through the unfoldment of time, you have a bunch of mixed up people creating rules. So I wanted to specialize in this episode of the legalization of drugs, because drugs are very harmful and very fun. They are two ends of the spectrum, and yet they are in your mind. These substances, these natural elements, are keys into your neurochemistry. Your blood-brain barrier, the passage of reality, is literally happening with this. When you are unlocking these certain chemical bits, they yield physical effects. I'm very dendritic-oriented, and I like to play around with the mind. Uh, this is my temple, and you should protect your temple. It shouldn't be ransacked by these bad influences and behaviors, just as in you wouldn't want bad people in your home, and you wouldn't want a roommate that's hard to live with. You want that which is um, conducive to your immediate environment, and your most immediate sector of uh, human experience is within your brain, within your skull. And that's what this podcast is. For me, familiarly, but also for you. Because we all have a temple and we all share the spectrum of ontological reality together whether you think so or not we are all sharing a fundamental union so i um i pulled from bruce waller's you decide contemporary debates and moral problems and the advocates for that were ethan a nadelman a professor of public affairs at woodrow wilson school of public and international affairs at princeton university the one who advocated that drugs should remain illegal was Theodore Dalrymple, a physician and psychiatrist and works in a British prison. He recently contributed to the editorial of the City Journal. He recently wrote Life at the Bottom, the worldview that makes the underclass. The source uh, for Theodore is Don't Legalize Drugs out of the City Journal, Volume 7, Number 2. And Ethan's source was The Case for Legalization, the Public Interest, Summer of 1998. I'm going to start with uh, Theodore Dalrymple. He was an advocate for keeping drugs illegal. Quote, The only purpose for power can rightfully be used over any member against their will is to prevent harm to others. The freest man isn't one who slavishly follows his own appetites and desires throughout life. It impairs the pursuit of other human aims, such as raising a family, civic obligations, the pursuit of gainful employment, and it promotes parasitism. Most drugs limit consciousness. They do not expand them. 
And it also instills a sense of tedious self-absorption. It is a lazy way of pursuing wisdom and happiness. We lose little by not taking drugs. A man whose appetite is his law is not liberated but enslaved. If not for illegality, the world would make cocaine and heroin cheap. Illegality has attraction for youth. Well, if there's one group you want to protect most, it's probably the, the youth. Uh, you don't want them getting messed up because that's a bad start. And where you start is typically a, a good indication of how it's going to go. So you would not want that to happen. So having it be illegal is an attraction, but if it's illegal, it becomes less attractive. I would say that uh, the pull to want to get away from it almost works in the reverse. Like, why is this illegal? Oh, I'm going to defy it and be rebellious and go headlong into it versus if it had a more relaxed attitude, you'd maybe figure out after a while through people's own suggestions, like, yeah, you don't want to do it that much. It's not good if you keep doing it. You must stop it before it's too late. Having a more relaxed attitude probably is a better attitude, honestly. Now, would illegality make it cheaper, like cocaine? Well, marijuana becomes a lot more expensive when it's controlled uh, through dispensaries. I know that firsthand. I mean, I've gotten some of the greatest pot off the street uh, back in the day. I'd get an eighth for like 25 bucks, and this stuff is phenomenal. I mean, this stuff will take you to freaking Mars. But an eighth would be 50 bucks if you got it at, you know, so it's almost like it gets inflated double over. So, you know, I don't, I don't really know where, where he's getting that from. I guess in a sense, if you, you can grow it yourself or you could, you know, uh, get all the ingredients and, and do whatever you will with it if it is legal and, you know, you, it was completely liberated in a sense, maybe. But that's not what I'm seeing is insofar as it's controlled by government. In the illegality, there's obviously a risk. So that's going to make it expensive as well. But again, money's so abstract, people will come up with all sorts of ways to justify why it's not, not, as, not as cheap or whatever. Drug addicts are self-absorbed. I was addicted to pot. I did drink too much as well at one point. And I think that's a big problem with our youth, especially being in your early 20s, where you don't have much of a uh, experience doing much. Uh, you're hardly out of college or you're still in college. Um, it's a part of life where you don't really exactly know who you are and your Saturn return hasn't happened yet. I mean, you can't really be great at much and you don't really know who you are. So of course it's all about you and your problems, your petty problems. And um, you're not mature enough uh, to really reflect because you've never really been down and out. And when you're addicted, you know, it's all about you and the cycle of self-affirming uh, instant gratification from that. Is it a lazy way of pursuing wisdom? Well, you know, people who talk at a bar and they don't know anything about what they're really talking about, but they, they say it with such veracity like they do. So it's almost like, you know, they get very philosophical, but it's just this sloppy sort of, I'm feeling good and saying whatever I feel like kind of pursuit of wisdom. I get, I get that. Amsterdam is the most violent or one of the most violent and squalid cities in Europe. I don't know from what statistic, but I guess the crime rate is very high. And we all know that drugs are very liberated and widely available. Only a minority of addicts change at the clinic and are motivated to. Therefore, it is not safe to say, if other addicts receive methadone or some other treatment, that their criminal activity would diminish. Cheaper alcohol, the more it's consumed. So if it's more widely available, it would only indicate a greater consumption at that point. Ethan Nadelman was a director at the Lynn Smith Center, financed by George Soros, Drug Policy Research Center. Dealers would make efforts to expand into parts of the population hitherto relatively untouched 
in order to protect profits. Clinics would have to dispense a lot more methadone and resources. Murder and, and drunk driving don't decrease from prisons disappearing. The threat of a punishment keeps all but the recidivists away from crime. He claims that the war against drugs, if it were lost, so too would be the war against theft. Would drug addiction go hand in hand with theft? Well, sure. Would alcohol addiction and bad habits of driving to the bar and back thinking you're okay would go away? Well, certainly probably not. Incest? I don't know how it connects, but I'm sure if you lose your sanity through drug addiction, you'd want to rape your uh, your siblings or something. I, I don't know how that works. I don't. Let's just not talk about that. Fraud? People are having a, a, a power meeting just in the middle of the day. <laughs> it reminds me of Louis C.K. How do people drink during the day? Why isn't the next scene just, you know, everyone just lying on the floor? Oh, fuck. Why did I drink in the middle of the afternoon? I, I guess you'd make more lax decisions and uh, would be, be willing to become a little more shady in your dealings if... If what you do, if if you're that, if your heart isn't into what you're doing and, and your headspace is, is for the most part gone, I mean, I understand the corruptibility of of losing your mind to drugs. Let's face it, alcohol is a drug. A lot of people do it, and honestly, a lot of people that I I know and the culture at large is into something. I mean, everyone drinks, and everyone, in my opinion, tends to be relatively stupid, and I I am not super proud of myself either, but. A lot of this also is to invigorate myself, but also to get people reinvigorated about understanding and putting together pieces of the puzzle. Because if everyone's stupid, everyone understands things on a very base level. You know, I'd rather have the discussion at the bar uh, not be laced with uh, a burnt out brain, but a well-informed, from good sources, understood and well put together uh, idea of what's happening. And to be able to articulate that well, when you're drunk, maybe, would facilitate actual wisdom for once. And it's also safe to assume, or unsafe to assume, that a theory that the availability would exhaust the drive to get them. Well, for me, honestly, once pot became illegal in California around 2016, I stopped. Back in 1996, California was the first state to pass the Compassionate Act, which allowed for medical marijuana use. Now, I'm from California, and of course California would be the first. We're so cool like that. Uh, in 2016, so we're, we're looking at 20 years later, two decades later, recreational use is finally okay. Uh, that we were able to see liberty in that 20 years later. And this is the thing uh, with this controls. Yeah, you, you want to be safe with these things. And when people don't know better, they don't know better. And I understand that. You could, you know, drugs are so good, they could ruin your life. It's, uh, that's true. But if you're going to take this attitude and be so fearful around it, people are not going to trust that attitude and they're going to do the wrong thing. So you might as well treat it with compassion and love and the right outcomes are surely going to happen. I mean, if people aren't so fearful surrounding you know, uh, their own liberties, maybe they'll be happy enough and fulfilled that they don't have to feel like they have to do drugs all the time. Uh, maybe it's just the culture at large which makes people want to do drugs a lot. I mean, for goodness sakes, if if most of our young men are being sent over to die in some rich man's war, you know, of, of course there's going to be some leering, dark, fearful society that, are, that has to walk among each other. I mean, this also has to kind of contribute to why people are so sad. I mean, you wouldn't insist... If people had more purpose and more love for one another and there wasn't all this 
uh, strain uh, between these these things like you could just enjoy life you know as it is it would probably work itself out with all these without so much control and yet we do know the reality that if you do not make wise conscious decisions not to do certain things you could wind up dead <laughs> for sure you could you know so um, these are two ends of the same rope here and I want to think of the discussion not in terms of blatant sightedness partisanry but just that these realities are here and should be taken all together. And you gotta figure out how to temper that. And to create a culture around the hatred of, of substance and then the, the love of substance is just equal parts dumb. I think that's what the culture needs to see is stop creating cults out of things. I mean, for goodness sake, like, come on. I mean, I'm not saying Solomon's temple is a cult. Uh, you're not coming here to get all culty on me. You're just visiting my headspace. That's all I mean. You know, I don't mean to be like, oh, and I build the, huh, that's the end of the world. You know, that's not it. This is the beginning. This is the age of Aquarius where I pour out information over the internet. We all come together and we either fear that's the end of the world or we love the fact that we can do all the things we do and enjoy ourselves. Is it going to have a good time or not is my question to you. So we're going to move on to Ethan's uh, point of view. He says for alcohol and tobacco, we surely would see a reduction in use, but no one believes we can eliminate their abuse. So in saying if we made alcohol and tobacco illegal, yeah, there would be a reduction in use, but no one would believe that we would eliminate their abuse. So maybe then, given that it were illegal, would the abuse go up? Maybe the usage would go up, who knows? But the government would rein in uh, herbicides, of growing neighbors and would reward neighbors for informing them of illicit groves. Urine tests would be given and violators of the law would be would be fined. So this is, you know, however many million, 60 to 80 million users of alcohol to whatever extent, some arbitrary number on a slight scale. But that would be a lot of people that you would enforce that their liberties be taken away and their way of life be quashed from their from their being I and mean, this is their this is their essential quality of life getting stripped and you want to do that because you want to because some people have a problem with it don't you see how insufferable that is because we know there's people that want to bar others from getting certain kinds of jobs because well they're pill poppers oh you don't want an opiate head we don't want a pot head uh, we don't want someone who dabbles in meth it may be for a good reason but also I know that the Central Valley in, in California is, um, is basically enslaving immigrants, paying them $4 an hour, and, you know, feeding meth to them. Like, I heard a rumor that it was the police that were doing this, that were literally allowing, no, knowingly allowing this stuff to happen, and willingly ignoring it. A very easy fix, but now we don't want to deport these people all of a sudden, because they're literally keeping our agricultural economy afloat through the enslavement of them and now we're giving them drugs and mistreating these people and all these people want to do is just thrive but they know that's impossible like we just want to kick them out after that's all said and done Ugh. okay let's just go to the next point the justice system is clogged with tobacco related murders Government funds climb rapidly. Now this is a hypothetical considering that tobacco is illegal. In Prohibition, Americans realized that laws and policemen were unable to eliminate smugglers, bootleggers, and illicit producers. So it might just invite crime because people want to cash in on that. 
you know, because people will, would be a lot more in de uh, demanding about it if they didn't have access to it. Or maybe you would diminish, but I don't think so. More law and police generated would lead to more violence and corruption, both in and out of the police force. It would be more crowded with the courts and with jails. There'd be a wider disrespect for law and government. More power and profits would be for gangsters. Drug producers and traffickers would profit off the market illegality. 30 million Americans would become potential victims of prohibition policies and at legal risk, including criminal elements created by the policies. The value added to the tax due to the criminalization, the value would remain equal to other substances generally, that is, alcohol and tobacco, uh, in comparison to heroin or pot or something. The cost of drug offenses and criminal justice would be severed. Alcohol associated with the most violent behaviors would decline. Illegal markets would breed violence. A shift from alcohol to marijuana, you would certainly see a society where violence is cut in half. You, har you hardly ever know of fights breaking out because of people getting together, listening to music, and smoking marijuana. It's just a fact, experientially. Drug corruption among police would become more prevalent during the prohibition. Drug treatment facilities would turn away addicts that are seeking help. So rather than helping this whole situation, instead you would just have more money going into prosecuting more drug traffickers, sellers, or users. And to put it this way, what would you think of holding the gun salesmen accountable? To the extent we were holding drug pushers accountable, we know that we allow arms sales to go to the general public and to our military. And would you hold the Bilderberg family or whoever's funding uh, both sides of the war currently accountable because they were selling these things, causing harm? But we don't control that. You know, how do you control for these? You know, guns are an agency that can harm you. It can cause death. Now, there's an agency behind the gun, right? But there's also an agency behind all the drugs. So there is something in between the agency that once you have it, there is a harm that can be done with it. You know, so the man behind the gun argument doesn't hold there because you're still pushing guns here and you're pushing drugs there. Now, uh, to what extent would you hold the gun salesman accountable? Well, you can't, right? And we don't. It's only a ter in terminology of what we find legal and what we say is the rule. There's no rationality. There's no real rationale to that. And again, like in the beginning, he says that, you know, the only purpose for power can be rightfully used over any member against their will is to prevent harm from others. So you can't use your will against someone when it comes to the Second Amendment, right? Because, of course, it's okay to rightfully use it when it's to pre prevent harm to others. Right? But you're not going to allow that, but you're going to do it for drug pushers, right? Because you want to uh, inflict your will upon these people to control that, because that inflicts harm on others. Hey, but it's not the person, it's the per person behind the pipe or whatever. Drug testing, uh, sometimes you need to know why people are failing, but if people are failing at work, just fire them. Or if someone's a liability, someone's a liability. Just talk to them and be like, if it happens again, you're out of here. You know, if you can't operate the forklift properly, go. You know, whatever the case may be, but, you know, why is it needed? It's just a case-by-case -case basis, you know, don't discriminate on people. If people fuck up with their drug use, you know, that's their thing, but they gotta, they either have it under control or they don't. That's a personal thing. I don't think it should be inflicted on anyone. That in itself uh, creates a lack of individual liberty across the board. I understand that you want to save your business and you want reliable employees that have their headspace clear enough but it, it would make the government stronger, and that's a part of the right wing that we don't want. We don't want government stronger, right? 
and informants would be would be uh, up and over the community rather than community assistance. It'd become this uh, backstabbing or secret um, infiltrating uh, lack of privacy type of thing rather than a, a community sense or a sense of openness of what's possible uh, within the communities. The benefits of legalization would be 10 billion a year to reduce the enforcement of it and encourage the amelioration of problems associated with it. The quality of urban life would increase there would be a decline in robbery. Families wouldn't be taken apart, you know, because mostly it's black males that have been hit with drug charges that absolutely ruin the family system in black communities. You'd be able to actually seek out legitimate opportunities even concerning the drug trades. The, the justice system would turn more into a pre preventing and resto restoration, a restorative justice, than punitive justice. Restorative over retributive. People convicted of drug offenses cannot get into colleges with student loans. But murderers or armed robbers, they can. That's a very weird clause. And I don't know if that's still in effect or what, but uh, at the time that this was written, which was back in the early 2000s, I believe, relevant enough, but um, this is also just trying to highlight, at least in a brief moment in time, in the recent history uh, that this is what has been and this is how we conceptualize law and stuff. So either way, whether it's updated or not. But there's something ridiculous that happened to me. Like, it wasn't a big deal. I typically don't drink much, but after a long week of working really hard and really focusing on my stuff and doing it very thoroughly and um, taking care of myself and just like, oh man, you know, it's really nice if I could just take a bottle of wine home, kind of sip on that, you know, while unwind and get a good shut eye go to sleep a little earlier so I could keep my schedule and everything. You know, it's my business and it's Sunday morning and Sunday morning is my Friday night, essentially for a lot of people. That's just how I am because I'm a sleep tech. I'm, I do polysomnography. And I felt cheated because they had this thing where, well, it's a San Antonio city ordinance that you can't uh, buy any alcohol before uh, 10 a.m. on a Sunday. It's like, why does that apply to me? When you intertwine religion and government, it points to fascism. We're not a fascist nation, but you know we sort of are, and I don't want to go that way. I don't want to go that far right. You know, this um, autocratic religiosity will not stand. And it's not a big deal. I don't really drink, and I should've just been like, yeah, well, you know, I understand you don't want to serve people alcohol in the morning. But then again, it's not my morning. See, these people can't think relatively and just let it be free. Let people do what they want when they want to. And that was just one aspect is, it pisses people off when you try to control them. Just stop trying to control everything. It's what I'm really trying to say. It's a religious law, so fuck that. Casinos are illegal in Texas, and this is off topic, but it is in a similar vein. It's Casinos are illegal. I could do without casinos. You know, if they leave, the underclass would probably prosper a lot, because that's where a lot of bottom feeders happen. Is like It's not exactly drug addiction, but it's bad habit addictions, you know? It's not enough, but casinos are kind of dark. Casinos are parasites on the underclass, and I understand if you want to ameliorate that by law, like, sounds about right to me, but then again, I like to gamble sometimes. I'm responsible. I'm one of the few people that, that has been into casinos less than 10 times to gamble, and I have netted over $300, so I don't lose. The house loses with me because I play conservatively and I don't get drunk and stupid when I'm there. Um, I just do well at casinos, but I don't like them. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I've made money at casinos, but they are not good. They're dark places. But I don't really mind them being illegal. But then again, I want to ameliorate people from the harm that casinos cause. 
But for me personally, I want to still be, have the liberty to go if I want to. So don't control it. Just let it be what it is. If we're an open, free society where we weren't heavily controlled by media and we actually are able to talk about shit like on podcasts, these things are brilliant. You could talk to whoever. You could come to me, you know. And there's, you know, one out of a thousand people, you're going to get a good orator. Fame is not going to be a big part of the future because fame is a big control element of the elite class, you know. Um, but to get many public informants like myself in their own smaller communities, you know, I would hope to have at least a few thousand people around me, but not this Joe Rogan thing where every episode gets listened to 10 million plus times or whatever, or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's not about that. It's not this mass influence type thing, small influence, you know, I'm very conservative like that, but on a much greater, on a level that's a, with much greater, uh, scale and importance. Uh, finally, California decriminalized uh, psychedelics. And this is really the beginning right here. This is the place where true therapy could happen for people and a real reintegration of our ideals. Our next uh, astrological aspect in the planet of Uranus, which corresponds with the rulership over Aquarius, right? This is the age we're in, I'm saying, you know, is what I've been saying. This aspect is going to help us deal with what our core ideals are and we're going to be able to rewrite our core ideals and bring it into more we as more of a body a large body a collective um, ideal uh, an ability to work among each other easily and fluidly this right here this aspect is going to go into the sign of gemini but not right now you could type it in um, but we're going through Taurus right now. We're working through the ideals of uh, how we view our materiality and our structures and our money and some wealth and stuff like that. Um, but the communication bit is going to be how we are talking about what it is that's in our heads and does it make sense to us. And my predictions are with that is people are going to start getting really interested in the mind and dig deep into what they actually are thinking about and figure out what those are in their psyche. Like right on time, because when this hits and when that when that traverses the few years it does, there's going to be a massive. This is going to be. I don't think a lot of people are ready, but this is going to be a massive shift in public consciousness, especially in the states that are starting to uh, repair with these uh, teachers, and the legality of this is um, really uh, where the pedal meets the metal and the rubber meets the road. Um, and, and, and the fact that these substances have been kept under wraps is absolutely appalling. We all have a birthright to know who we are. And um, I shouldn't have anything really to say to you, you know? Um, it, should be, it should be handled. It should be internally coherent. Um, but this age is going to kick off, and the next few years uh, I'm looking forward to. And I'm going to be doing a lot of research around... Um, the psyche and psychology. I'm also going to um, research psychedelia and I'm going to look into maps because I think at this point um, I got to make a transition somewhere and get involved with that to some extent, possibly. So, okay, well, I enjoyed this one. I'm going to let you go there. I'll see you next time.